My name is David J. Harris, Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris, Jr. Show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally all around the world. This is another episode with your host, David J. Harris, Jr. And today, friends, I have the exciting opportunity to interview a true trailblazer, somebody that has been making movies, documentaries to try to expose what is taking place in our country right now. His latest film, The Trump Card, is absolutely amazing. I just watched it. I was blown away. I think that every single American needs to see this film. They need to watch it. Hopefully, prayerfully, our president gets reelected. But uh, if for some Hail Mary of a of a a male voter fraud chance Joe Biden was to get in the Oval Office, we're going to look back at this movie and we're going to say, oh my gosh, we've all been duped. What is taking place right now is absolutely unbelievable, yet uh, I'm so glad that my good friend Dinesh D'Souza is uh, is here to break it all down and to bring us the truth and expose what's going on. Without any further ado, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, so good to have you on with me with me today, my brother. I'm excited to have you on, man. I love your films, all of your films, and your latest Trump card is absolutely just, uh, it exposes so much and you cover so much. But thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thrilled to be on the show, and I'm very proud of this movie. It's uh, my fifth political documentary, and I, I think it's the best one. It covers the widest topic, which is the mystery of how this crazy idea of socialism which was tried in half the planet in the last century and collapsed everywhere. All the big countries moved away from it, China, Russia, India. And yet here it's back in America and in the mainstream of the Democratic Party. So how we got here, who's behind all this, why it's evil, how to stop it, those are some of the key themes in Trump card. Well, you do such an amazing job. You know, the individuals that you that you interviewed for this for this film, Trump card. Uh, you covered such a wide, a wide array of perspectives and angles uh, of what is pushing to drive socialism to become the law of the land here. And so many, too many, far too many Americans, college students, uh, and just you know, average everyday Americans don't know the history of socialism and don't have a clue uh, what's in stake for us if uh, Joe Biden and Kamala were to get in, in the Oval Office. I definitely believe they'd push us towards socialism. Yeah, Biden keeps saying, I defeated the socialist. But uh, one good way to think about all this is if you think about the free market or the free society at the one end of the spectrum and socialism at the other end. And just ask yourself this question, which Democrats are pulling in the free market direction? And the answer is none of them. They're all pulling in the socialist direction. Now, they might differ slightly in degree, kind of like a push differs from shove. But ultimately, their destination (laughs) is the same. In that sense, Biden, I think, is in a canoe where he's not quite operating the oars. Uh, The political left is doing that. Well, I I don't think he's operating a lot of oars upstairs either. He's obviously got some cognitive decline. And I shared on my show all the time, if for some reason Joe is to get into the Oval Office as the president, it'd be probably a matter of months before Kamala took the reins. And we all know exactly how, uh, how progressive left she is. 
Well, I think the just the very existence of Kamala Harris is um, an indication of a, a central theme in the movie, which is this idea of identity socialism. Because uh, for Marx, socialism was about the rich and the poor. It was a class divide. But I think what we see in America now is this hybrid type of new socialism, which combines classic socialism and identity politics. So notice that Joe Biden didn't say, I'm going to make sure I've got to get a really poor working class guy and put him on the ticket. No, he says, I'm going to pick a woman and preferably a woman of color. So right there, you see the introduction of race and gender politics. And that's the new yeah. uh, species of socialism that we're dealing with in this country, identity socialism. I don't understand how how black Americans today can't see through Joe saying specifically and women, for that matter, saying, I'm going to choose a woman and it's going to be a woman of color. Talk about sexist and racist in the same time. You know, there's a there's a sense in which people who are who are who feel that they're down are initially exhilarated when they see someone of their own group who's successful. Um, and uh, mm. I know, for example, that this is true of Indian Americans. Even for me, there might be an Indian American family that's somewhat liberal, but if they see me on TV, they go, hey, there's an Indian on TV. They get all excited. Um, but that yeah. is a very initial phenomenon, and it makes no sense to base your politics on that, because after a while, you need to wisen up and say, wait a minute. Uh, is this candidate doing a lot for my community? Are they actually helping to, with ladders of mobility? Are they helping me get educated? Are they helping me develop the skills I need to succeed in a competitive society? And if they're not doing that, then ultimately they're just reducing me to, to misery and dependency. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly accurate. It's like when I, when I had the opportunity to uh, vote for and support the first black man for president, Barack Obama, I was excited for that opportunity. And then my mom shared with me, she said, make sure you pay attention to all politicians and look at how they vote on the issues that matter to you. And when I saw that he was in favor of partial birth abortion, when I saw that he voted against a bill that would have provided medical treatment to a baby that had survived an abortion, I said, I don't care what color he is. He's not getting my vote. I think what ha what's happened is that we can see in a way black Americans are the pioneers here because the democratic experiment of socialism is being tried first with them. The inner city is almost a sort of model for what the Democrats, I think, have in store for all of America. And, and you know yeah. they have no incentive to change things because, remember, why would you change things politically when you're getting 90% of the vote? They've got a system that works for them. Now, of course, this is why yeah. they're scared of Trump. If Trump is able to convince people to move up in life, you get businesses coming back, you get safety in the inner city, people are getting a better education, some of them move out, the democratic sort of political lock on those places is broken. And this is what they're really terrified of. Well, you cover some of the things that you cover in, um, uh, in the movie are amazing. I took so many notes for, for questions for today. Share with us the difference between socialism and communism. Communism is the political ideology and socialism traditionally is the economic ideology. So a good way to think about this is that the Chinese in the middle of the last century were socialist in their economic system and communist in their political system under Mao. Now, the Chinese decided that their economy wasn't working. And so after the collapse, so actually this started in the 1970s under Deng Xiaoping, the Chinese decided, let's move away from socialism but let's keep communism. 
So today, the Chinese, I wouldn't call them socialists. They have a sort of state-run capitalism, but they are communist in their political ideology. Meanwhile, Russia, by contrast, got rid of both socialism and communism. See the difference between uh, between the two, even though they they, they seem they're, they're they're very similar in nature, uh, but they they don't work. Obviously, we don't want to be anything like communist China, where they're they're tracking your every single move. You don't have freedom of religion. You don't have freedom of speech. Uh, you know they're they're uh, you can be jailed and 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 put into a concentration camp basically just for your belief system over there. Uh, but socialism is it, is it seems as the the entryway for communism. If the United States, for some reason, was to have people in power that were to put a system of socialism in place, it seems like communism would be right, right behind it, ready to take control. Now, this is a very insightful observation because uh, George Orwell, the great writer on socialism, and Orwell was himself uh, a man of the left, but Orwell saw that all forms of socialism, including democratic socialism, inevitably push in the direction of tyranny. Now, obviously in America, we don't have, well, we have some NSA type of surveillance that goes on of, of all American citizens, but by and large, the the digital censorship that we're experiencing weirdly is coming in the private sector. These are these are companies that are, in a sense, yeah. doing the bidding of the socialist system, uh, even though they are outside the government. Uh, Orwell foresaw this as well. In 1984, he talks about, when he talks about Big Brother, which is a metaphor for the socialist state, he talks about the inner party, which is inside the government, and the outer party, which is collaborators with the socialist state. Mm. And so isn't it interesting that these great technological platforms that were invented to expand communication, help you find your long lost college classmates that you couldn't track down, uh, that were supposed to foster open and robust debate have now become frightening engines of making people into digital non-persons, censoring them, deplatforming them, restricting their reach, uh, it's really a perversion of what technology should be about. Yeah. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Uh, let me ask you this question. The politics of fear. Uh, what is that phrase? You know, I think that so many of us right now, obviously underneath the pandemic and then with Black Lives Matter organization and Antifa out there, um, there's people that actually champion in the politics of fear. Who's doing that right now? So... The politics of fear is uh, developed in the left uh, in the middle of the last century. See, um, to go back a little bit, Marx had predicted that you don't have to organize a workers' revolt because it will happen automatically. Marx actually thought that the arrival of a worker revolution, a socialist revolution, was a law of history. Nothing had to be done to bring it about. History would bring it about automatically. Now, of course, that never happened. There's never been a working class that has overthrown a capitalist class, not in Germany, not anywhere in the world, not from Marx's day until today. And so leftists in the 1920s and 30s realized, well, we're not going to get a revolution that way. That's nonsense. And so they realized if we're going to get a revolution, we have to sort of create one. And what is better to do that than the politics of fear? So FDR realized in the 1930s that he could do things. He could get policies through against the backdrop of the depression. Now, the, the fear was real. The depression was real. But he realized I can yeah. do stuff with it that I couldn't have done before it or I couldn't have done otherwise. 
And ever since I came to America in the 70s, the left has always been trying to whip up a frenzy. You know, the world is running out of food in the 70s and the 80s nuclear winter in the 1990s. The ozone layer is going away. The last 20 years, climate apocalypse, now coronavirus. So, again, <laughs> it, the threat might be real to a degree, but it is being manipulated and massaged and it is being taken advantage of by the left for political gain. That's one of the reasons I love this president so much, Donald J. Trump. He does not he does not operate in fear. You know, he gets COVID. He goes in. He's in there a few days. He's out. He's dancing on the stage. He's like, hey, I beat it. Meanwhile, nonstop on the liberal mainstream hack media news networks, all they want to do is talk about COVID, 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 death rate, death rate. Uh, it's more about the cases of people that get it. Uh, it's nonstop. And, and people, too many Americans are caught in the middle of this. But uh, I, I'm thankful that you're exposing ex exactly what these politicians and the mainstream media outlets are doing. They're they're trafficking in uh, in fear for people to keep them where they want them. I love that you expound on this as well. I think so many people miss the, the miss the fact that while Donald J. Trump uh, in his early years back in the 70s, while he did start off with some help with his father, um, he was a visionary. You know, he he his father would would build low income buildings. And uh, he looked at the uh, uh, he looked at the Commodore Hotel in New York and saw something completely different. Share a little bit of that story of what uh, Donald Trump did and his vision that wound up becoming now a landmark hotel in New York as one of the first the, the first one. Share with uh, share with us a little bit about that story. The reason we have this uh, episode in the movie is because uh, Trump is not only the political leader of the fight against socialism, but he's also the classic entrepreneur. Even before he came into politics, that's what he did. He embodied the capitalist spirit. So then the question becomes, what is the capitalist spirit? What is it that capitalists or entrepreneurs actually do? Now, according to Marx, they do nothing except supply capital. That's all they do. They fork out the cash. Right. Um, and uh, but what I think Marx ignored is all the other stuff. In fact, the more important stuff that capitalists do. So we show in the movie that if you want to do something and, and Trump here is only typical, this would apply to pretty much anything. You have to come up with the idea for something. And when Trump saw the Commodore Hotel, it was run down. It was rat infested. There were people sleeping in the hallways. The rooms were thirty dollars a night. Uh, it was a mess. Uh, and what Trump did is he figured out, listen, I want to buy this hotel because it's in a very prime location. And if I can dress it up and make it a, a, a place that people want to stay in, it would be very profitable. Then Trump had to raise the money for it. Now, his father thought it was a ridiculous idea. Our family doesn't go to Manhattan. We're people from Queens. So Trump had to go to the banks and sell them on the idea of this. And then the banks put up the capital. Uh, and then Trump uh, redesigned the Commodore. He put glass on the exterior. Why? Because he saw that Grand Central Station is across the street, the Chrysler building. So he wanted the monuments of New York to be reflected in his building. So people, in a sense, his building represented the greatness Brilliant. of New York City. Anyway, he then had to market the idea. So the point here is that entrepreneurs generate the idea they organize the business, they take all the risk, they market the business. So people go, why is the entrepreneur entitled to the lion's share of the profit? Well, that's the reason why. It is a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant uh, addition to the film to just show the true genius and visionary that Donald Trump is and has been. Uh, and, and now he's running our country and everybody should be thankful 
that we've got a visionary leader like him running the country because he knows how to take something that's, and we weren't as a country in total as dilapidated and worn down as the Commodore. But when he can take something like that, and he did it with the post office in, the, in DC, he's done it over and over and over again. And you've got to appreciate that entrepreneurial spirit of now our commander in chief and hopefully will be our commander in chief uh, very, very uh, re reaffirmed and reelected this, this uh, coming election. What's the what's the true form of social justice? The true form of social justice, and this really goes all the way back to Aristotle, and I don't think it's been impro improved upon for 2,500 years. Um, Aristotle said that justice is giving people their due, giving people their due. So the point being that if somebody puts in more work and they're more creative and they've done more, they deserve more. Uh, if someone has done less, they deserve less. So justice is a kind of equality, but an equality understood not in the sense of giving everyone an exactly identical share, but giving people proportionately to what they deserve. Now think about, for example, uh, 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 think about parents and you have four kids and they're all very different. And, you, and justice for you is not going to be everybody gets one cookie or everyone's expected to get back, come home at seven o'clock. No, you're going to say, wait a minute, you're a little older. I'm going to give you a curfew of nine o'clock. Uh, you're a little younger. You've got to be home by seven. You're, you're, you're allocating justice proportional to what the situation demands and what each person is due and figuring that out. Now, the beauty of capitalism is that in a market, it figures that out in terms of the value that you're creating in the market. But capitalism doesn't yes. claim to be a form of moral just rewards. Capitalism merely deci decides your value in the market. But true justice is giving people their moral desserts. And that's exactly why we've become the greatest nation in the world uh, is because of uh, because of capitalism. Uh, you you didn't leave any topic out. I mean, you covered Ilhan Omar, who backed her. I'm going to ask you about that um, in a second. Quick word from my sponsor. I'll be right back, Dinesh. Friends, if you love the show, if you love the, the, the articles and the news and the individuals that I get to interview from a uh, from an amazing perspective in these deep dives, please, you can support me by helping yourself by going to uncorkedliving.com, uncorkedliving.com. We, my wife and I started this company seven years ago. These little packets, you put them in water. It's five super fruits, a high performance blend of herbs to increase mental clarity and focus. And the super fruits are all filled with anti-aging benefits, antioxidant benefits. You're gonna feel and love, uh, you're gonna feel amazing and love how you feel. And you get mental clarity for a good five to six hours. Uh, we've got a detox formula that I take every single night to help cleanse the gallbladder, liver, liver, and colon. Take that at night. You wake up in the morning. You have a good bowel movement. And for those of you looking to lose some extra pounds, some unwanted pounds, Interlean uh, is uh, what I use for that. It's a metabolism booster. It increases your, your body's rate that naturally burns stored body fat. We hear from people all the time that say they're losing weight without even trying. Obviously, if you add some exercise to that, you'll uh, get a lot farther. But all of our products are gluten-free, GMO-free, best ingredients found anywhere. That's where we stake our claim. Uh, and you can get those and support me in my show by going to uncorkedliving.com. Use the code David and you'll save an extra 20%. All right, Dinesh, you did not leave Ilhan Omar off the table. You talked to uh, a, a Muslim uh, leader. Who is? What's the gentleman's name that you spoke to? 
We spoke to actually a couple of guys. The first was a Canadian businessman named Alan Bender, who has had in close dealings in the, with the top people in the Middle East. The other was a Muslim imam named Tahidi, yes. uh, who used to be a radical Muslim himself, but has now become a sort of anti-radical Muslim um, and has become a great whistleblower for what the radical Muslims are doing, not only in the Middle East, but here in America. What was shocking to me is is hearing from the Canadian gentleman you mentioned um, just how deep the ties are from Muslims that are radical that would love to take over and dominate. And then the imam shared that that's exactly what the goal of Islam is, uh, is to dominate and take over the West and, and have every single person in America feeling like the outsider. Uh, but the ties, the ties and the connections in government already that exist, it's alarming. Well, we've been hearing nonstop since Trump's election about Russia collusion. Now, this is about Islamic collusion. And we're not talking about Muslims in America organizing politically. We're talking about radical right. Islamic regimes like Iran using intermediaries like Qatar to funnel large amounts of money, not just to uh, politicians like Ilhan Omar, but to think tanks, to newspapers, to journalists. So in other words, to sort of buy their way into American politics. Um, and what we also learn is the way in which radical Muslim, uh, Islam intends to get a foothold, it wants to travel on the passport of the political left. Now, this seems really weird because the political left is permissive, it's pro-gay, it's pro-transgender, and of course, the radical Muslims throw gays off of roofs. So you might think, what the heck, how yeah. can strange bedfellows come together? But, you know, it happens. They come together because they see a common enemy. When they look at the they look at Trump, they look at conservative Christianity, both sides hate this team. And so they come together in a kind of weird alliance because they have a common enemy and they believe they can help each other to advance. It's it's insane to me that uh, that they they're willing to work together. I know the imam said that basically he said that the radical, you know, Muslims they just uh, they believe that those on the left are are gullible, that they're, you know, stupid. As he said that they're, you know, they can be, you know, pushed into the direction that uh, uh, that Islam wants to wants them to go into. Because, yeah, they're you know, he said they're not going to one of the most profound things that I think I, I heard him say that was uh, that stood out to me was Muslims, radical Muslims, radical Islam. They will push for others to have abortions. But there's no way that a Muslim would ever kill that Muslim baby inside their belly. Exactly. They they look at the the left and the left seems so confused. And the people, I don't know if I'm a man or a woman. I don't know if I'm a human being or a toad. Um, and the radical Muslims know exactly who they are. They know exactly where they want to go. So they view these people as sort of uh, convenient fools. Uh, and they say to themselves, listen, mm -hmm. how about if we deliver to them some radical Muslim votes and in return we get something that we could never get on our own? Let's get political protection. So if anyone criticizes us, a whole bunch of liberals will jump up and say, Islamophobia, leave these people alone. I mean, look at the untouchability of Ilhan Omar. She can do all kinds of shenanigans, marry her brother, campaign finance violations, this and that, pay large amounts of campaign cash to her boyfriend. Uh, all this stuff is going on. Uh, and yet she's untouchable. Why? She's untouchable because she's a woman. She's a person of color. She's a Muslim. She wears hijab. She's from the desert. So she's sort of like the ultimate victim. And therefore, from the progressive wow. point of view, she deserves the ultimate protection. 
And you you highlight in your movie Trump Card again. Everybody watching or listening right now, make sure that you go stream Trump Card, uh, Dinesh's new film. You highlight in there who you believe actually put Omar in office. Who is that? Yes, the um, the Iranian regime uh, targets these young people and cultivates them as talents. They do it not directly, but they do it through the local imams, the local mosques in a certain district. Now, of course, there's a large number of Somalis, many of them radical in Ilhan Omar's district. I believe the FBI oh, yeah. has noted that there are more terrorists apprehended in that single district than anywhere else in the country. So this is a, a fertile wow. ground for foreign powers to distribute money through local imams. And so something very nefarious is going on in America. Of course, the media is paying no attention to it whatsoever. They're obsessed with like two dozen Russians who spend $500 on a Facebook ad. Yeah, yeah, they are, they are obsessed in driving the narrative the direction that they want it to go. Meanwhile, underneath the radar, there's some very nefarious things taking place. Uh, you cover Joe Biden. Here, here's a good question. This blew me away. Uh, Larry Sinclair. You talk about Larry. You talk with Larry Sinclair in your movie Trump Card. What's his story, and why should it be important to all Americans? So Larry Sinclair is a a guy who was down on his luck. Uh, he's a gay man. Uh, who now works for a nonprofit building homes in Florida. Uh, but he was sort of a gay cruiser, if you want to call him that, uh, in the 1990s. Uh, and he had, um, from his ex a description, uh, two sexual episodes with Barack Obama, who picked him up basically uh, uh, in a limousine uh, in Chicago. Uh, he names the time, the place. He describes exactly what happened. Um, and he describes his subsequent experiences. So this is a guy who went public, had a press conference, um, was subsequently called uh, by the choir director in Jeremiah Wright's church. This is the Obama church. Uh, and the choir director told him, he goes, I've, I've been having an intimate experience with Barack Obama myself. Uh, subsequently, this choir director was gunned down, shot point blank in a murder that was never solved. So this is a very sordid and sort of riveting wow. story. But here's the remarkable thing. It got no press coverage at all. And so the reason it interested me wasn't even so much that I know what's true. I don't. But rather, I noticed that when people make accusations against Trump, notably Stormy Daniels, her word alone is enough for the fact that here she is on 60 Minutes. There she is on the Today Show. There she is being interviewed by Anderson Cooper. There she is uh, at Stormy Daniels Day in Hollywood, Florida, or in California. So the left jumps on the mere presence of accusation when it comes to Trump, but the media goes mm -hmm. dead silent when not only a similar, but a far more incendiary accusation is made against Obama. Um, and this is a very eye-opening window into how the media operates. Um, the media functions ultimately as a sort of arbiter of what is news. And we don't realize that these are umpires, if you will, who have a big stake in the game. It's almost like going to an MMA fight and in the middle of the fight, the referee jumps in the ring and starts punching one of the fighters. He's got a stake in the outcome. He's not a real referee, he's a fake referee, but he's pretending to be a referee. And that's part of what we wanna do. We wanna convince people and show them that much of what we call the media is a fake media. These aren't real reporters and they aren't really doing news. It's exactly like what the president has called them from day one, fake news. Uh, they are on, you know, they're not on his side. They're not on the side of conservatives. 
they're not even on the side of America, in my opinion. They are the enemy of America because they're the enemy of free speech. And even worse, they manipulate uh, they manipulate the news to try to feed a narrative that's lying to the people. They're literally lying to us. These are fundamentally low-down, dishonest people. Uh, and it is very scary that they are in a position where of power. See, many of us came, when I first came to America, I sort of had this civics book idea of America. Wow, I turn on the news. That's what happened yesterday. Oh, wow, there's the FBI. They're, it's like the movie, The Untouchables. They're going after Al Capone and all the bad guys. And if they bend the rules, it's only because the people that they're up against are so wicked and evil. And then, you know, fast forward 25 years and I realized they're using the same uh, rules, bending of the rules against me, and they're doing it against a fellow citizen because they, because ultimately the these organizations have become corrupted from the top. So I think that our media is thoroughly corrupted, um, and it yeah. only shows us how we have to generate really a new media, an alternative media, because these people aren't reporters at all. It's kind of like they're lobbyists for the other camp. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. Something else that really stood out to me was uh, the fact that we've been here. We, you expose and you show how with Hugo uh, Hugo Chavez, um, everything we're seeing right now with Black Lives Matter and Antifa, it it completely mimics mimics uh, the Goletivos. Explain and share what the Goletivos were for Hugo Chavez once he implemented socialism. So Hugo Chavez is the, uh, the former dictator of Venezuela. He's been succeeded by a guy named Maduro, who is exactly like him, uh, except maybe not quite as talented. Now, Hugo Chavez, once he came to power, he unleashed uh, this sort of paramilitary gangs, many of them former criminals that he released from prison, and he gave them weapons. Now, remember, this is after Hugo Chavez had already confiscated the guns of the Venezuelan people. He did that in the name of, uh, of the idea that guns are guns will make you less safe. And they had a propaganda campaign, turn in your guns, let's promote safety in Venezuela. The moment the citizens were disarmed, uh, the state unleashed its paramilitaries against the citizens. Um, and these paramilitaries are Venezuela's answer to Antifa. They function exactly the same way. They show up on motorcycles. They knock down Columbus monuments. They go after small business people. They go after political wow. dissidents. So our model of socialism is not the Scandinavian model. There are no Scandinavians that do this. There's no Antifa in Scandinavia, but there is an Antifa in Venezuela, and that's the direction we're headed. It was There's so many eye-opening moments of your movie trump card that i was just i was wanting to shout it from the rooftops every single american needs to see this movie you need to get with your family get with your friends get with people that don't agree with you if you're out there you're listening you're watching get with some of your liberal friends or get with your independent friends and just watch this movie together it is so eye-opening there were so many eye-opening uh, aspects to the movie and then, uh, and you you cover you cover Joe Biden, you cover Hunter Biden, uh, you cover you know all the money he was making, eighty three thousand dollars a month for five years, and connecting the dots between when his father went to the different countries and then when the deals were made. You just did such an amazing job, Dinesh, exposing so much, and it's all so pertinent to right now. Final question for you: How important is faith to you? It's very important, and it's very important not only to me personally, but I think faith is at the root 
of the political and economic and philosophical foundations of this country. I mean, remember when Jefferson uh, sat down to figure out where our rights come from, uh, he could only figure out one source, our creator. That's why all men are created equal. That's why life is precious. That's why we have human dignity. I do want to say, if I may, that this is the first movie I haven't released in the theater because the theatrical picture is so scattered. This is a movie that's released yeah. to video on demand. So trumpcardthemovie.com, that's the website. And you can watch it on Apple iTunes or Google or YouTube. It's up on some cable platforms like Xfinity and Comcast. You can watch it on the movie site called Fandango. We've been having some trouble with Amazon Prime. They say they're going to get it up but they haven't put it up yet. So fortunately, there are plenty of other platforms. You can also obviously buy a physical DVD, Walmart or Target. Trumpcardthemovie.com is where you should start. Trumpcardthemovie.com, friends. Support Dinesh, but more importantly, support your own growth and your own uh, understanding of what's taking place because we are at a precipice in our country right now. Uh, the election is literally just days away and... There could truly be. I mean, I, do you think do you do you think that there will be chaos and riots regardless of who wins the election, Dinesh? No, I think that there will be chaos and riots um, if Trump wins. The other side will go berserk. Mm -hmm. They've thrown everything at Trump, and they have formidable forces behind them. They are right now a little confident that they that they have it in the bag. They absolutely don't have it in the bag, uh, but they're acting like they do. And the, the shock a second time of, of losing a second time, I think, will be almost too much for them to bear. Of course, I'm looking forward to it. The constipated faces of all those media pundits. Uh, you know, I mean, the, my, the, I, am, I am actually salivating uh, at it, the prospect of a decisive Trump victory that I think will send these people over the edge. But we need to be ready for it. And we've got to realize that we, we don't need to put up with, with people who are trying to overturn the results of a legitimate election. Yes, I too am salivating at the uh, the envisioning the Chris Cuomo's, the Rachel Maddow's, the Whoopi Goldberg's, all of these Hollywood elites that are say they're going to leave. Please do us a favor and leave once Trump wins. Just get the heck out of here. Go to a socialist country. Go to some. Go somewhere else and let us uh, patriot loving, Bible loving Americans uh, enjoy what uh, the next four years will will bring underneath this president's leadership. Dinesh D'Souza. The movie is the Trump card. Uh, trumpcardthemovie.com is where you want to go figure out how you can stream it. Dinesh, any final words you'd like to share? Well, I came to America at the age of 17, and what attracted me about America was not only the ladders of opportunity, the chance to better your life, but also the chance to be the architect of your own destiny, to write the script of your own life. And little would I have believed it, but here, you know, a generation later, I think it is that very American dream that's on the ballot in November. So let's think about it and let's vote to protect the America we love. Absolutely amazing. So beautiful. It was awesome to be able to speak with you at Non-Essential last week in California. You knocked it out of the park. The, the, your prayer at the end was amazing. And uh, I think you're right. I know you're right. The American dream is definitely on the ballot this election. Dinesh, thank you so, so much, my brother. God bless you. Please, everybody, go out and watch the Trump card, trumpcardthemovie.com. And uh, Dinesh, we'll talk to you again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. 
Friends, please share this everywhere. Spread the word. Get your family, get your friends to go to trumpcardthemovie.com. Stream it, download it, buy it, support Dinesh. But most importantly, people need to see what's in this movie before it's too late. We need to know exactly what's at stake. And as Dinesh said, it absolutely is the American dream that's on the election ballot this election year. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. And a special word to my sponsor, Mike Lindell. Go to MyPillow.com. Get something from Mike Lindell. Use the code David. I love his sheets. I love his towels. I love his mattress topper. It's amazing. Go to MyPillow.com and use the code David. You'll be glad that you did. God bless you guys. We'll see you all next time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. My name is David J. Harris, Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris Jr. Show. <clears throat> Call Dinesh D'Souza. Just to confirm, calling now. Hey, David, how are you? Hey, I'm great, Dinesh. I'm great. How are you, my brother? Hey, that was awesome. I mean, I think that went beautifully. I do too. I was trying to. I was trying to stay to your time. I didn't want to take you. I didn't want to keep you too long. I could have kept going. I had more questions, but I was trying to just uh, give you the time that I shared that or that you said you had. So thank you so much for that. Well, it's awesome. When you share it, let me know and I'll help to push it out. Okay, I will. Absolutely. Uh, did you okay. do a big did you do a big push for Infidel? I, I, I still want to see that movie. I think I think I can stream that one. Yeah, well, see, that one is still in the theater. So uh, that will come out on video uh, on demand uh, in the end of November. Okay, good. Um, so it's still in theaters uh, uh, and uh, probably will be in theaters another two or three weeks. And then there's a little window of uh, time and then it comes out on DVD and, and on demand. How is that one doing in the theaters? I mean, it's done It's done really well, David. But to be honest, 500 Regal Theaters just closed a week ago. Oh, yeah. And so that's hurt us because we lost some theaters that we were doing pretty well in. So yeah. uh, the good news is under COVID conditions, we're doing fine. And we've run, you know, we've been competing with Tenet and the big Russell Crowe film and some Halloween movies. So we've proven we can make a really good feature film. And that's that's a big accomplishment right there. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to go. I'll see yeah, it. I, I mean, I'll, you'll, you'll see when you see it. I think you're going to love it. Uh, so look out for it. Uh, if you can't make the theater, just wait for it to come out in DVD, which will be in November. Well, when it comes out, I'd love to have you on again, if not sooner, for something else. And we'll do a promotion and a push for that as well. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome, Dave. Yeah. Good talking to you. Hey, and if there's any way you can connect me with Jim Caviezel, I'd love to interview him. Yeah, you know, he did a round of media for us at the beginning. Yeah. And we've tried to get a couple of interviews from him subsequently, but it's been a little bit difficult. It's kind of like he feels like he's done his bit, you know? Got you. So I will pass along this to uh, the guy who's, who deals with Caviezel, our public relations guy, okay. and see what we can get out of it. Because it would be awesome. I agree. He's just not quite as easy for us to pin down. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, I think that's great. I'll send you the clips and the full uh, links once it's done. And uh, yeah, it'll be great. It was good. Awesome. Okay. Uh, good talking to you. Okay. You too, Dinesh. Thank you, brother. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
pushed in broadcast already.